All right, we'll uh, get started in a, in a word of prayer. Finish up this, uh, this last lesson on, on wine. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessings that you give us, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to come and to learn uh, about you in this class and then later on uh, worship you, Lord, and, and celebrate you and sing praises to you and learn more about you. I ask that you bless us as we go through this. Help us to apply it. Help us to use it to go out and bring others to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Had a large group walk in. Thank you, thank you. All right, so we're going to finish up. I think that, yeah, this is lesson five um, on why do we believe what we believe. And the last few weeks, what I've been, what I've been doing is taking a lot of our core beliefs and rerunning them through the, um, the lens of, of Jesus and, and God and his story versus just kind of going along with a a, a different like a pattern or, or blueprint method because I think this method works um, better and you end up with this with a similar conclusion but I think in the end the the heart around the message becomes um, a lot more realistic I think it's more of a, of a heart issue than just a a, a traditional or a you know, I've done this because we've always done it type of, of message. So we're going to look at three different ones. Um, I hope we can get through them all. I think we will. Uh, through the lens, what I call through the lens of Jesus. And we're going to look at communion. We're going to look at like church and church attendance. And then we're going to look at evangelism through the lens of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, I've, I've never seen this example used. I'm not saying I'm the first one to ever do it, because I'm obviously not. Um, I think the apostles, especially Paul, did a, a very good job of this through his writings. Uh, if you look at how he writes, mo almost everything he does uh, is through the lens of Christ and what Christ did and, and the examples of Christ. So basically just doing the same thing here. So the first one we're going to look at is, is communion. And, and I, I want to focus on this one because I think it, one, it's going to take the longest and two, it is actually a, a very important thing that we do it. But I want to get down into to the meaning of it and, and kind of where it's where it came from and the history of it so that uh, so that others can can see that. Thank you. So if you look, I'll ask this and I know I've got it on here. Where where is this communion that we do actually originate from? The Passover, right? So, the, the, and, and this is what we're we're gonna we're gonna look at a little bit and, and go back into the Old Testament and see how the Passover or communion was a, a a branch off of or a transition from our communion was a transition from the Passover. So, if you look in Luke twenty-two, verses fourteen through sixteen, and this is uh, Jesus, you know, instituting the Lord's Supper or what we call communion, Lord's Supper. He says in 14, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. 
And, and the meaning that he is talking about is the meaning of the Passover. So, give me just a second, sorry. Every once in a while, this thing wants to glitch out on me. All right. So the question then is, what is the meaning that he is actually talking about here um, that he's wanting to fulfill? And if we go back, in order to do that, you're going to have to go back to Exodus. And then I use John as well because John talks a little bit, I think, and correlates with it a little bit as well. If you go back, and I'm going to read this whole thing because uh, in Exodus 12, they institute, um, the, the God institutes the Lord's Supper. In Exodus 12, it's all about, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to kind of focus on the, the pieces that, that focus on the Passover. Um, but it gives all the instructions of not to have, you know, yeast in the house for seven days and all these, these ceremonial type things they had to go through for a week um, just to, to celebrate the Passover every year. But I want to focus on these, these, four ver or these uh, six verses here. In 24 through 30, it says, Remember, these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must obey, observe forever. When you, enter the land, when you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, and though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our family. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. And that night, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn sons of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of the livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the people of Egypt woke up during the night and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Can you imagine that scene? An entire country where everyone that wakes up and finds that no matter what, their firstborn child, their firstborn livestock, firstborn everything had died. Yeah. So there were some houses they could have lost. I mean, a wife could have lost, you know, if she just had a husband and a, and a son, and she could have lost both of them. And, and we know households in that day were a lot larger than that. But, I mean, it, it, you know, if you had, they had a lot of times you'd have three or four generations living in a single house. So, I mean, it could have, it was a, it would have been a horrible, horrible thing. But this this is what they said. So this is the, what they're talking about with the Passover, why they're celebrating the Passover, because the angel of death passed over the Israelites and, and their families, those who had, had done what was instructed of putting the lamb's blood on the door, or the door outer. And so if you then go into John 6, and, and so we look at the Passover, and then we look at a little bit of what who Jesus is in, in John uh, 6, which correlates with the uh, them leaving Egypt and going into the desert as well. But if you look at John 6, 33, Jesus says there, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus replied in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then in 47 through 58, and again, I'm going to read this too, because I want to show the, the backstory here. Jesus says here, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. 
Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his, his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Now that's a hard thing to take, especially if you don't understand what he's talking about. <laughs> yes, it has, right? Going down, what is it about verse 66? It says, Many that day refused yep. to follow him. They followed him yep. before because they said, This is a hard statement. Who can accept it? Yep. Hope it didn't get ahead of him. No, you're fine. That's, that's what it was. Yeah, so at that point, then many of the disciples walked away because they, they didn't understand what he's talking about. And, and, and Jesus asked them if they were going to leave too. And, and I think it was it Peter who said, Lord, where shall we go? Or who, do, who, who shall we go? And, and so, but if you look, the Passover. And the, and the manna that we, that we see, this, this whole thing with, within the Egypt and Israel's and the foundation of it, the, these two things is a foretelling of what is to come. The Passover, the, 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 the sacrificing of the firstborn. And this is one of the things, and, I, and I'm, honestly, on my lesson a couple weeks ago, I forgot to, um, I forgot to, to make this point. Uh, actually, my, my, the sermon I did on Sunday night. What's interesting about this, Jesus, or God, doesn't do anything or cause pain to anyone, that he isn't willing to suffer himself. If you look at the story of Job, which I talked about, you know, Job went through all those horrible things. God was willing to do the same thing. He sent his own son, who's innocent. And, and the same thing here, you know, you see what happens to the, the kingdom or the, the, the country of Egypt, and you think, well, man, that's a horrible thing. There's a lot of innocent people died because of Pharaoh. And... and and, you know, but then, then if you go back to it and look at it, whether you think it's fair or not, Jesus himself was willing to, to do the same thing. He's always willing. Whatever infliction we see, he's willing to do the same thing himself. So this is a foretelling of what is to come. The, the Passover, which is Jesus is going to, he is going to, God is going to sacrifice his firstborn, only son, so that way our sins are passed over. And then the manna portion is the, God talking about the bread of life coming down from heaven, which again is a foretelling and speaks into the communion service that we're going to look at here. So Jesus fulfills the meaning of the Passover. And that, that, that last verse there in Luke that we looked at, Jesus fulfills that, the meaning of that. And so you see him go on in Luke 22, verses 17 through 20. So he talks about, and then this is where he institutes what we, we call now the Lord's Supper. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, 
This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 20. After the supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Oh, I'm sorry, I went too far ahead of myself. But then in Matthew, I'm oh, sorry, I'll keep going. Matthew 26, same thing. This is the, the, the other part of the, one of the Gospels. I think it's in every Gospel, but I just use these two. As they were eating, Jesus then took some bread and blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you must drink it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So communion in the Lord's Supper is not just a traditional thing we do just to remember Christ. All right? That's part of it. But it's, it's in a very important thing. In fact, if we look, and I've talked about this a little bit, if you look back at the early church and how they celebrated on Sundays, when they came together on the first day of the week, the main purpose for coming together was to, to take part in the communion service. That was their main focus. They would probably, if you look in a, in a historical account, they probably spent a good portion, if not most of their time, in this part of the service because this was one of the more important things that they did. So, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Everything else that they were going to do, you know, because they were focusing foremost on, as Paul said, I chose to know none among you but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and that's what they focused on first and foremost. And, and so I think it just helped everything else to go in the direction it should have as they worship God. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and we're going to get into the example side of it here in a little bit, or next. And if you, look, if you actually look at speaking on communion or, or, or folks, there's actually more in the Gospels about the communion and communion service than there is actually the, 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 the rest of the, the Bible, Acts onward. Uh, we see two examples, and we're going to look at those. So, so we have the lens of this through Jesus and what Jesus instituted and what Jesus wants us to do and what he commanded for us to do you know, that, that he set up. And then we, we go to the example. So we, we look at the example that we have. So one is Acts 27, which we use a lot. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers, shared in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. And I'll read First Corinthians here in a minute. So we, we use this a lot. And sometimes mistakenly we use this a lot to say that it was commanded to do it on the first day of the week, which we never actually see that command. We see it as an example that they actually gather together on the first day of the week to do this, so that's why we follow this, this example. Jesus never, in his speakings, instituted doing it on... You know, he, if we look back, his concern wasn't how often you did it. And we're, we're going to look at that here in a little bit of, of why. But... We, we, we see this and we use this, but I want us to be careful that we don't take this too far and make this a command. 
And, and I talked about this when we first started this, this series out. But we see this as an, as an example, and we see this example. And so obviously it's important. And actually if you look in some of Acts, and it's not exactly clear, and there's some scholars who debate it back and forth, there's some examples where when the, first, the church first started, they actually would meet every day, and, and they, some believe that they actually participated in some sort of communion-type service almost every day in a remembrance. So there's some, some kind of back and forth on that. But anyways, I'm going to get to the point that that's not the point, and that's not the, the thing we should focus on. So if we get into 1 Corinthians 11, when you, when you see the example of the communion service, the church here had started to abuse and, and misuse what the communion service was actually meant for. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to start in verse 20. He says, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you are hurried to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or, or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of the wine after supper, saying, This cup is, is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so I'm going to stop here because sometimes we stop here. We tend to stop here a lot of times. Um, but it's important to, to go further in. But also, you know, this, this talks about every time. And again, if you would go back to a historical context, they actually would have, and I, I know this is a little different, they would have actually drank wine and ate bread every single day. That was something they actually, I mean, that was a common staple it was bread and, and wine because the water wasn't good, so they they drank wine on a regular basis, and bread was a common staple, and so they ate that every day. Now I think he's talking of the uh, he's talking of the context inside of the Lord's Supper here, but I, I still think it's, it may be something to point out there that this is this could be a thing where you know not only is it something we're supposed to do on a regular basis, but maybe it's something we should focus on almost every single day. They would meet all day, not unlike our church. They yep. met all day. So what they would do in the middle of the day or whenever they would have what they called an agape feast or a love feast, and it was like what we would call a dinner on the ground. Or, yep. you know. um, and so what was happening was the, uh, there were a lot of poor folk in the church, obviously, in that day, and the richer folk would bring most of the food, and so what their reasoning was is because we bring most of the food, we get to go through life first. They would pick out the poor who were not able. I mean, most people in that day could afford to make one, uh, one make meal a day. Yeah. You know? and, and so they were being neglected. And a lot of people during this feast, this love feast, this agape feast, were getting drunk. So by the time the Lord's Supper come around, <laughs> they were done drunk. As a yep. group, and, and had also done their poor brethren wrong and sin in that regard, and that's what Paul condemns, yes, yep. is, is, is that abuse as well as it going into the Lord's Supper and being abused as well. Yep. 
So take everything he just said and apply it to where I'm going now. <laughs> so yeah, so they, like that said, they, they were, the rich were, yeah, were bringing the food. They were uh, eating it before. They wouldn't allow, you know, it'd be, it'd be like an example here as if, you know, we had, when we had a potluck and we brought, you know, those who were able to bring a lot of food, brought their food, and then they got to go through the line first, ate all the food, and then the people who weren't able to bring any food or were able to bring it left come through, and most of it would have been gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the same thing with the, they, were, they were drinking and indulging so much wine that they were actually drunk by the time the Lord's Supper came around. So their, their mindset and their attitude towards the communion service and, and even the, their entire service as a whole was wrong. And so he continues then on into 27, and so he says, So anyone who eats the bread of, and drinks the, or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And in 29, I highlighted some verse. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Now, I'm sorry. If you are really hungry at home so you don't bring judgment upon yourself when you meet together, I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. <clears throat> so like what, what Dad said and talked about, again, not only were they, they were abusing the, the meal, the agape, the love feast, what they called it at the, at the time, through that they were also abusing and, and disrespecting, I'll say, the Lord's Supper and what it meant and what it stood for. And so when I take this forward to us, and, you know, we really don't have the problem of when we get together and, and eat of, you know, others going hungry nine times out of, or actually ten times out of ten, any time we have a potluck meal or meal on the grounds, whatever you want to call it, there's plenty of food left over for plenty of people to take home. Right? We, we don't live in, a, in an environment that they, they live in, so we don't see that. But I think sometimes what we do when it comes to communion, is we miss the meaning for the tradition. Is we get so, and I don't know how many people have, have seen this or, or witnessed this, we tend to focus on the when, the where, and the how a lot of times over the why. So and I'm saying, have anyone ever seen, um, for example, and, and I've seen this, Anyone ever see, uh, heard someone or, or seen where it was suggested that the Lord's Supper be moved to the end of the service? What was the reaction? <laughs> they didn't like it, right? Right? And, and, and we've, we've picked a lot of different arguments. We see things from, you know, and you go back and you can see, we, we pull traditions out, we, we pull things out. I mean, I know, like, there's, there's the one cup. You know, the Bible doesn't mention multiple cups, so there's people who say, well, we need to use one cup. With COVID going on, I'm glad we're not using one cup. <laughs> right? There's some who don't believe in um, not using the little wafers, or I know we, I got some feedback sometime, one time when we started because of flu season and other things, we started cutting the, the, um, the bread up into little tiny squares, and people were upset because you're not actually breaking the bread. Right? And so... Sometimes, as humans, we dive into the little things that don't matter. Dad says major and the minors a lot of times. I think sometimes 
we forget what we're actually here to do. You know, and like Dad says, a lot of times we'll get up, and this isn't against anyone who's, who's doing the community Lord's Supper service, because I've, I've been guilty of it myself, is we get up and we try to rush through it as fast as we can, right? We, you know, we, we like the guy who says the shortest uh, thing about the communion and the shortest prayer around the communion, and, and so we, we can go on. But if, if we actually go back to the, the, to the communion service and, and focus on its true meaning, then really this would almost be one of our longest periods of our service here. This is what we would focus on more than anything versus singing or preaching or, or any of that stuff. And so if we, we, we want to look at that example and the meaning, and I put on here, you know, because a lot of times, or my, my question I want to ask then is, is, are we honoring the body of Christ by doing it that way? Right? Should our focus be, should we dive deeper into the, the communion service and what it is and what it, what it means instead of trying to kind of hurriedly get through it? You know? And so that, and that's kind of the question I want to ask because I, I want us again to go back through and yes, we have the example and we have the layout of, of what they did, but do we have the heart, which we go back to Jesus and go through, of what Jesus instituted and what Jesus wanted us to do? No, can you imagine if we treated funeral services like we do our communion service? Because really, I mean, that's, that's what it is. It, it, it is a memorial service. Like you said, it's a very good point. It's a memorial service. Yep, exactly. And so that's what I want us to, I want us to see that through that lens, that, that, that lens of, of Jesus and who he is and what he does and get back to the heart of the matter versus the tradition or the... Or the the pattern or the thing. And that's what I said, and, and don't take this the wrong way. All right, I'm not advocating for anything, but what I put down there, it says, um, I said, those who do it once a quarter and focus on its true meaning and serve it more justice than those who do it every week just because they think they have to. And so, again, I'm not advocating we go do a quarterly or not do it every week. What I'm saying is, is if we're going to be critical of those who don't do it every week, then we need to make sure that what, when we're doing it every week, that we're doing it for the right reason, and we give it the focus and the importance and the, the respect and the, the moral side of it that it deserves like we would anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. I mean, I don't see any way you I've can't seen, do it except weekly. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen folks, I've seen folks and everything on the Lord's table, you know, did a whole lot with very few words. Yeah. And then folks would get up there and just ramble on, and then you lose kind of you lose your job. You lose, you know, you just lose people, you know. And you have to be real careful with that, you know. And we're all human, you know. We're gonna make boo boos, you know. But. Uh, and like I said, I'm not advocating that, and I, I'm not defending not doing it every weekly. But what I'm saying is, I, I, I personally, if you read through the scriptures. I believe Jesus, when he comes back, if you did communion every single week, but there was really no meaning behind it, then it's not going to be, it doesn't make a difference, right? It's like the same thing with baptism. If you get baptized, but you're not being baptized for the right reason, 
I can dunk you in there a hundred million times and it's not going to make a difference in the end. Right? And so a lot of the things that we do, the, the, the focus in them and the importance of them is the heart and the reason behind it and the meaning behind it versus just doing them. And that's what I want us to take a look. Instead of, I'm, and, and I'm speaking from when, when I was a young Christian. I had three kids. I mean, it was, it was Sunday mornings were the worst mornings <laughs> when we first started going because it's like everybody. I mean, even the husband. Where's my tie? Where's my socks? Where's the shoes? Get this one dressed and messes up. Come, and it was just tedious coming, and I hated it sometimes. But. I got my mindset was this is something I want to do. This is something I need to do and it is something that should be done every Sunday morning not just because I'm going to church but because he died for me. I need to set an example for my children and if we think about what Christ done, there is nobody in this room do not see us going up and letting somebody tell a bunch of lies on us, beat the soup out of me, <laughs> make me drag a pine tree down the road and, st and nail things in my hands for any of you. No. They're not going to do it. <laughs> and you think that this one man came from heaven, walked this planet, and let <laughs> I don't think I could have said it any better myself. Go ahead. Adding to that, how about meaning anybody, and, and y'all can testify, anybody that ever served the Lord's Supper, and I have from little bitty congregations to over 1,400 people, and, and you <clears throat> you serve, you stand in the back, you wait for everybody, you know, kind of gather up and then get everything, then you come back down the front together. <clears throat> and if you just observe, I'm not being judgmental, y'all. I'm just being observant. And you'll see people scribbling. I've seen people filling out a grocery list. I've seen parents handing candy to their children. Other people talking to each other about not the communion, I guarantee you. Um, just, just, it's just like, okay, listen. Yep. And, 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 and y'all, that, that's as bad as what Paul was talking about, getting drunk. Yes. Exactly. You know, because you're not observing the Lord's death, as he says. It's, it's, it's a hundred other things. That's 
let alone being in the same mind and spirit. Exactly. And, that, and that's where we've got to be careful, because as human beings, when we get into something that is repetitive, we tend a lot of times to forget, like you, what you, what would you, repetition, right? And so it's just okay. Well, I got to do this again. I got to do this again. And so we need to make sure that we focus on what we're supposed to be focusing on during this time, and that our hearts where it's supposed to be, and not not playing on our phones or not, um, the all kinds of like Dad said. We, I've done it too. You see all kinds of different things going on during the Lord's Supper besides focusing on what what he did. But go ahead. Well, a lot of times it's not so much just our relationship with God that we've got to examine. It's our relationship with each other because I know I have purposely missed communion because there was something going on in my life with somebody else that wasn't right that I needed to fix. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it tells you to. Look, I mean, look at what does verse thirty-one say? But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are going to be disciplined so that we will not. You know, I'm sorry, that's not the one I was looking for. Here we go, 29. For if we eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. How serious do we take that statement? If you do not take some time in your own mind and focus on that and think about that, absolutely. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> like you say, it is, it is repetitive. We yep. do it every week. I get that. Yep. But you still need to focus on that. Yeah. Because... Otherwise, it can become, just like you said, it can become a ritual thing we do yep. all the time, and that's it. We just kind of do it until we do it. Well, you I really can say, think I, about it. and I can actually say I have sat during communion sometimes. If my mind wasn't right, like if there's something was weighing on my mind where I couldn't really focus on what it was, I let it go by. As I, I didn't feel like I should do that because I felt like I was gonna go to hell if I did this. But, <laughs> yeah. but then afterwards I was thinking, did I do the right thing? Or should I have gone ahead and done it anyway? Because then I was I it was almost like I was disrespecting God for not doing it. Well I, along those lines, let me give a, just a little bit of a I don't know if you call it advice or what. I think if you if you study the Bible carefully, you see that we're to start preparing for worship long before we come into this building. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, you read Psalms 100. You know, uh, you know, we're we're to start with, as soon as we enter the 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 gates of the temple, which was a long way from the sanctuary. You know, um, start preparing our mind for then and there. Um, and uh, and you know, I every time, I, without saying before I tell you the Lord's Supper, I I pray and ask God to forgive me of every sin I've ever committed. And, and and try to start making that preparation. Y'all, the, the, and maybe when they did it and, and took two hours to do it, maybe they had time to do that. We don't do that. And so we do find ourselves maybe in that pickle, so to speak, in that situation. Um, I would suggest starting very, very early, you know, and, and, and start preparing for that time. 
you know, so that when we do get to it, then we, we have examined ourselves. It, it's not a five-minute examination. No. No, it is, you know, so start beforehand. I try and prepare for church, and I started this when the kids were little. Yeah. I, start, I start preparing, actually, to come to church Sunday morning, Saturday. Yeah. I try and get my yeah. mindset thinking, I, you know, tomorrow morning i got to get up, we've got to be at church. And to, to make things run smoother, I do all what i got to do ahead of time and then do it. But, you know, I mean, and that's a lot different. Some people can't, some people Far. don't like that. But I try to do that, and that's one thing. I mean, I look, I look forward to coming to church. Oh. I love coming to church. I love, I mean, I miss everybody. Frankie, you had your hand raised. I was just going to say, you know, from where I come from, this is the first congregation I have ever been a member of where while you were taking communion, there's no sink where I come from. Where I was raised, we used to sing during communion, and our elders and our deacons told us that it helps keep a focus on the communion. You can see parts of the communion mm-hmm. stages what Jesus went through. And if you have somebody who's leading those songs and the congregation is singing, you know it's not really so much tradition. Yeah, you know, you, yeah. You I think that's a good point. All right, so so yeah, I think you offset it wrap it up on more than I could have on, on the tradition of meeting. So just, I hope we, we going forward we'll, we'll, we'll focus on it and, and take it more serious than what we have done. And maybe we need to, to look around at some of that and, and, and get back to maybe more what the church did. All right, so the next one is church tents. I'm going to skip through these. I got 10 minutes, actually five, but I'm going to go 10. Um, um, real quick, church attendance, right? And the reason I threw this one in here is because we focus on this a lot. And it is important, but sometimes I think we focus on it more than we, we, do, we, we should because of other things. But I'm not saying, let me get to where I'm talking about on that. We use, and I'm going to flip the examples on here. We're going to go with the command first and then, and then go uh, in, in Hebrews and then go through, through Jesus' examples. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, he says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I'll make two points on this. A lot of times we use this for our, our Sunday service. All right? And it does apply, but it's not just talking about in, 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 the, in the scope of what he's talking about there. It's just not meeting on the first day of the week. It was their regular gathering together as Christians. So it has a, has a two point. So what, what, when I, with, with that verse, what I want to get to is then what would Jesus do? Because there's not a lot of commands around going to church, right? I mean, you, we have basically this one in Hebrews. And so my, my thought was, let's go back again. And what did Jesus do? And I'm just going to use a few, and I have them listed there. If you look, and I think there's probably 10 or 15 more I could have listed, but I wanted to keep it on one page. If you look at Mark 1.21, Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. Mark 6, 2, the next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many had heard and were amazed. Luke 4, 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Luke 6, 6, 
On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. Luke 13.10 One Sabbath day as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue. So if we go back and look at the example of Christ, where was Christ every first day of the week? In the synagogue. With the assembly, right? Now, it's different than our assembly today because of, of what's transpired. But it, we can use, if we go back and look, and there's, there was a lot more of, I forget how many verses that actually mention Jesus being in the synagogue. Now, all of them don't men, mention it being the Sabbath because the synagogue was really, the temple was a, was a, was a, was a core area, the centerpiece of a lot of the, the, the towns and the communities. But he was there every first day. So if we're to be like Christ, then we should follow his example and do our best to be, at least be there on the first day when we gather to meet. And so this kind of goes back to the same thing on church attendance. Is it, is it, are you here for the meaning or are you here for tradition? Are you here because you have to be to check off the checklist? Because if I'm a good Christian, I'll be here and I can say I was here. Or are you here because you truly want to be and you want to be around God's people and you want to learn from his word? Or are, and are you here because your heart's here? And that's, that's the question. I, I will be honest. There are some days I am here because I have to be here. There are days where I get up, I do not want to come. Now, I can tell you this. Any time I've ever come, I've never regretted it. There's never been a time where I didn't feel like coming and I didn't get up and go and I regretted it. And I was like, well, I just wish I hadn't gone to church today. So again, this goes back to the same thing with communion. Where's your heart? I mean, they say, and I'll tell you, it certainly <laughs> is. Then, then the heart's you wrong. You don't sing. You don't partake of the Lord's Supper like we were talking about yep. here. You know? I mean, you come and you go through the motions. Good grief. Who wouldn't get bored with that? <laughs> exactly. I mean, exactly. okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Chad. They got to check, check the box, check the time clock, right? And so I we get we, chastised by faithful Christians <laughs> for going five minutes over sometimes. Yep. Yep. And they love it if a ball game went But so here's here's the thing. I, I highlighted the verse, the, a certain portion of, of 24, 25, or 25 in Hebrews 10. But encourage one another. You know, we, we tend not to, well, a lot of times what we'll do is someone misses, it was, we don't try to encourage them to be here. What's the question we ask? Where were you at? Why weren't you at church? Right? We, we, we get at it. So we, we need to make sure that if we're, we're doing this, we do it, one, because Jesus, we, we follow the example of Jesus in this. That's all we got to do. And then look at the command and see why. All right. So I hate that I'm having to skip through, but I want to I get on the evangelism one because this one's important. The evangelism, again, I started with the example here of Jesus. And... If you look, and I'm going to use the one, there's, there's plenty of rough examples of Jesus evangelizing in, in his ministry. But the one I like the most is the Samaritan woman in John 1 through 42. And I'm not going to read all that, but most of us know the story, right? We have the Samaritan woman. And you look at his example of how he was with her 
in his evangelism style. He was personal, so he, he established the what? A, a, a friendly conversation, right? He was passionate. He's, he's passionate. He, he, he went out of his way to do this. He didn't have to, but yet, and if you, look, if you actually read the, the verse there, he said he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to, but he did for this reason. He crossed boundaries. If you look, he is talking, he is a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman by herself. All, I mean, that whole scenario, that whole scenario was frowned upon, was taboo, should never happen. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't talk to somebody that So he set aside customs and, and, and I put Christian rules, it's actually Jewish rules, I'm sorry, more customs there. Was vulnerable to receiving the gifts of the believer. He asked her for water. Again, that was something you just didn't do. It was a respectful discussion. I think sometimes we need to learn that. Our evangelism style sometimes is beat people over the head or, or try to show them where they're wrong and, and, and chastise them or come after them versus a friendly, like he did here. He told her the truth, but he did it in a very loving way. They will, but he showed her gentleness. Yeah, and so, and, and you're going to be attacked a lot of times no matter what you do. But you continue to show that gentleness and that grace that he established because if you attack back, then you've just lost all accountability and everything. So I wanted to go, and there's many more examples we, we could have gone through here for, for using Jesus as an example of, of evangelism. But, he, but in the end, these are the last commands of Jesus to us as a whole. I mean, there was commands he gave the apostles that, that applied directly to them. We don't need to go to Jerusalem to wait, you know, wait for the Holy Spirit. But if you look, Matthew 28, 19, and 19 through 20, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then we have Mark 16, 15, and 16, which pretty much says very similar to the same thing. But my question is around this, around evangelism, and you can answer this question for me. Are we as serious about this command as we are some examples we choose to follow? I'll be dying in America. Let me ask you a question. So to, to what Ralph said earlier. If I said, well, there's no real command, we're not commanded by anywhere that we see to do the communion every single Sunday, so we're going to go, let's, let's move it to a month, every month or every quarter. What, what would be the reaction? Right? For good reason. I'm, I'm not saying, all right? Huh? Did we go somewhere else to worship, right? I mean, what? But are we as serious about that as we are this command? No, we are not. <laughs> the reason I say this is uh, I've done, the, I've done the, the door knocking and I hate it. I oh, hate I hate it. it. All bikers got the bad influence of, hey, let's, let's 
But that, that's, that's my, my, my point is, if we're going to take examples as that serious, why do we not take the last commands of Jesus as serious? Why are people not walking out of the church because we're not evangelizing like we should? But I think a lot of it comes down to what, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get to here is the heart. Where's your heart? If your heart's where you're, it's going to be, the practices we do are not going to be, override the commands of Jesus. This is very simple. When's the last time you asked somebody at the church? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is, if, we, if you look at the statistics, we're not even doing that. And then if you look at the statistics on the other side, some 80% said if someone just asked them, they'd probably come. So this is kind of the end of this. And what I want to, to get to, 